I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Lion. The Arizona Cardinals select Tyler Murray. And the 2019 Offense Rookie of the Year is... The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. This year's most valuable player, Lamar Jackson. All right, guys, welcome back to the Established Pass podcast, presented by Clutch Points and our friends at Blue Wire. I'm your host, Blake Level. With me is my co-host, Dylan Reagan. We're back here to discuss uh, the action from uh, Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. And uh, also, Dylan, in addition to that, it's, uh, great timing you and I have because we always say uh, that breaking news tends to happen as we are recording our podcast. Fortunately, this time around, uh, it happened literally about two minutes before we started recording uh, our podcast here. And uh, as you can hear my phone uh, sending me alerts, uh, that is to keep up with the situation <laughs> going on uh, with Doug Peterson uh, being fired by the Eagles. But uh, we will get to that a little later on. Uh, quite quite a, a development uh, in the NFL world for sure. Yeah, just as of a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like he was safe in Philly. It seemed like Wentz was for sure the guy going out. Maybe they're both going out. But nonetheless... Some, a lot of things changed in the last few weeks. I don't know how much what happened in week 17 played into it or if it was just uh, their owner having a change of heart or whatever it is, but it is pretty rare. I was trying to, we were talking before the podcast, trying to think about 
you know, the <laughs> how quickly in the past any Super Bowl winning coach has been fired like this. Like I can't think of any. Uh, the only one that came to mind for a coach that left this quickly after a Super Bowl was Dick Vermeil, but he retired. He did come out of retirement to coach the Chiefs, but. I, yeah, it's it's crazy how quickly things have fallen. Even though they haven't, they weren't that great last year. They still won the division, three straight playoff appearances, obviously the Super Bowl win. So uh, a lot of big things changing. And yeah, we'll we'll get to that after we talk about these playoff games. Something that wasn't on my on my mind after all the fun we had with the games this weekend. Yep, and we will start uh, with the Colts and the Bills. And uh, because we're clearly going to be getting a lot of notifications here on the Doug Peterson situation, I am going to silent my phone, um, acting like a podcasting rookie here. But uh, this is what we have to do to keep up uh, with the news. But uh, let's start with the Colts and the Bills. Bills 27, Colts 24. Um, I, I We kind of talked about this game, and I thought it was one, I don't know, like we were just talking about how good the Bills' offense was. But as the game got closer to getting started, I kept in the back of my mind thinking, man, I just, I don't know, like this just feels one of those, like one of those games where you have the Bills, you know, a team here that hasn't been in the playoffs much mm-hmm. as we know. And, you know, they're kind of in that situation where they're they're seen as a, a big favorite. I mean, they're almost a touchdown favorite in this game. And so I just kept thinking, man, I don't know, there's something about the Colts. I could see them making things interesting here. They did uh, for the most part, I think. But still, you saw what Josh Allen was capable of. And uh, that wound up being the difference. So that Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs connection uh, was exactly what mm-hmm. the Bills wanted, I think, to propel them into being a much better offense this year. And we've seen that all season. It turns out uh, that was pretty much a big difference in this one. Yeah, they lose this game if it's a year ago. Josh Allen is literally the difference in this one because overall, uh, for most of the game, Indianapolis outplayed them. Even early in the game, Josh Allen didn't look on, on completely on top of his game, made some really nice throws on that first touchdown drive uh, when he had the, the sneak that ended up turning into a, a little like push pass. But nonetheless, Indianapolis did a great job. But it just became a, a game of missed opportunities for them. They miss a field goal. They obviously get and have that fourth down stop before Buffalo takes the lead before the half. They'll look back at this game and just feel like they had they had the Bills on the ropes for sure in the first half. And then even even when they did play perfect defense, Josh Allen did things that we, again, kind of – he's put himself with the, the plays he's making that we only see from guys like Rodgers and Mahomes, really, uh, with his ability to throw deep down the field on the run, running to either side of the field, to, uh, with either his arm side or to the left when he's going against his body, making those passes that he did to Diggs, to Davis. It was, it was an, a really fun game. Uh, we'll get, obviously, eventually to the other 2-7 matchup, which I'd rather forget about. But this this one made me happy. It, it kind of validated having the extra playoff team, the Colts, an 11-win team that definitely deserved to be in this field with how they, they performed. And, yeah, I mean, they still had a chance there at the end. There was uh, some uh, really questionable officiating with that uh, the fumble that uh, it should have probably been Buffalo ball uh, when the ball got knocked out after uh, I forget which receiver it was that got back up. Um, and fumbled the ball, but they, yeah, they kept the ball with Indianapolis. If they had, if Indianapolis had come back and won after that, I can't imagine the uproar in Buffalo. It would have been something else. Instead, we get to forget about that and just think about how how amazing Josh Allen looked. Now they got this victory under their belt uh, in the postseason, and yeah, yeah, really excited to see what he can do next week. Now, yep, uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see. Uh, given the matchups, and uh, like you said, this was, uh, man, Josh Allen's on the field. Interesting to think about how this game plays out, but he was, and uh, that's why the Bills uh, went 13-3 in the regular season and now uh, set up for another interesting matchup in the next round. All right, 
Dylan, uh, that sound you hear is him uh, still very excited, uh, jumping up and down, yelling and screaming. We had to cut all that out <laughs> in the editing process for this podcast. But uh, the Rams get a 30-20 to 20 win against the Seahawks. Man, I bet the under on this game. I thought it was going under. I felt really good about yeah. it. Uh, but the Rams put up 30 points in this one <laughs> against the Seahawks. And that second quarter, I was like, what in the world is going on here? Um, but I tell you, this was uh, a very disappointing performance for the Seahawks. There's no doubt. But I think the more mm -hmm. you looked at the data, uh, the more you looked at the results of the games they played, we should have expected, you know, the Rams, and I know you talked about it, to, to really make things hard on Russell Wilson. He only completed 11 passes. Um, Cam Akers had a, a huge game. That was a big difference here, too. But what the Rams defense did to Russell Wilson, the Seahawks just never got going. And, uh, you know, even with Jared Goff coming in, uh, he wasn't perfect. But still, I think that gave the Rams a big boost. There was just a lot of things the Rams did well here. And uh, now they get the double-digit win and move along uh, to play uh, the next round here. Yeah, the offense did some good things, but really the defense won this game. They don't get all those opportunities with, uh, if, if the defense isn't getting them the ball back so quickly. Under 300 yards for the Seahawks, just an amazing performance from the Rams' defense. And for you know how miserable for moments of the game I was with all the injuries stacking up for the Rams, it really did illustrate the strength of this defense overall as a team and as a unit. Obviously, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, for a good reason, get a lot of the credit for what they're able to do, but they're a really deep team in the secondary, really well coached, obviously. Uh, with Brandon Staley, I just as I keep saying, I'm really, really afraid of someone trying to snatch him up uh, to go elsewhere. There's been kind of reports that you know he's really happy with the Rams and wants to, is committed to them and everything, but we'll see what happens. I'm just the way that he's taken this defense, which was good last year, but it wasn't great. And it was you know there were times when they faced better offenses like the Ravens. I was at that game last year where they got completely shredded. It could not have been more different what we've seen from this defense this year. Just the communication too. There's a lot of uh, if you follow people that are kind of like film Twitter for the NFL posting uh, the all 22 shots of some of these plays and some of the things Seattle was trying to do that confused the Rams, just great communication, not, uh, you know, keeping their assignments and all that good stuff. And then everyone's just fast, physical, and everyone on the defensive line too. Morgan Fox stepped up when Aaron Donald came out, uh, John Sebastian Day as well, just a really complete game from them. Uh, overall, and yeah, the offense did enough, as I, I kind of mentioned, Jared Goff, as much as for moments in that second quarter early on, it was, it was really tough to watch given what, you know, Walford was able to move them down the field, and it was, it was kind of the same kind of stuff we saw against the Cardinals a week ago with uh, the play calling and what they are able to do deeper down the field, and then, you know, Jared, it, it started out really bad, but uh, didn't have to, he didn't really have to carry it. He just had to manage the game, essentially. He did make a really nice play on the uh, – and Cam Akers broke it for a really long uh, catch and run down the sideline. But a, a play that from Jared, we don't always see with him being able to improvise, step up in the pocket, and find him on that, on that play. So, I mean, he made enough performances. The offensive line had enough – uh, moments with Cam Akers where they were in sync and were able to move guys around and get some really big plays and yeah just enough to to win it gut it out and obviously the great news all those injuries happening and it sounds like for sure Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup are playing but even John Wolford might be available which is uh, insane enough considering he went to the hospital so yeah I couldn't have been more excited you uh, I feel bad for my neighbors when on that Darius Williams interception that was the <laughs> one play that got me running around my apartment I will say this weekend though I've 
with all the great plays we saw, I, there was a number of plays uh, that had me jumping around. That Kareem Hunt, or not uh, Kareem Hunt, the Nick Chubb uh, screen touchdown that we'll get to uh, that kind of put away the Browns game, and then also the Lamar Jackson run. Those three plays are ones that had me standing up with my hands on my head. Because yeah, but anyway, that Darius Williams interception, obviously a great job with the scouting, with the you know. They've seen that the, the Seahawks have run this play, I think, against the 49ers and one other team before sometimes going to the opposite side of the field. But nonetheless, with Metcalf begging for a target, it was pretty clear what was going to happen. Still took an, an insane play by Darius Williams to jump that route. Just proves the depth of the secondary. And yeah, couldn't be more excited about what they're going to be able to do in terms of the matchup against the Packers. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll get to talking about that one. But just, I mean, one of the best passing offenses in the NFL and one of the best pass defenses right now. It's going to be fun. Yep, should be a great game uh, in that one. We'll talk about that in our next episode uh, later in the week. But uh, for the rest of the NFC, uh, it will now be the Bucks and another team we're going to talk about here in a second because the Bucks get their win against Washington 31-23. Uh, uh, this was one that I think going in, um, you know, Vegas knows, right? Uh, they always know the line was uh, minus eight when we talked about it uh, going into this game, and that's what the Bucks win by. A little bit tougher than I think most people thought it would be, and we said it, you know, the defense for Washington could be something. You know, Brady hasn't been at his best, but I still thought overall, uh, you know, big plays through the air for, for the Bucks. Um, Antonio Brown, who we've talked about so much, it seems like over the past couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, does it again. And, you know, I just think that the Bucks' offense wasn't perfect here, but you just see all the different options that they have. I mean, Mike Evans goes for 120 uh, receiving, 119, whatever. Um, they, they just have so many different guys that can sort of break out at any point. Leonard Fournette almost had 100 yards on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just it's really hard to stop them when they get going. But obviously the Washington offense, too, I think did better than the people expected. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's obvious, an obvious point uh, in this game. But uh, Bucks get the win. I think that's what we expected. Uh, but uh, it wasn't exactly easy at times. Yeah, it felt like they, they could have, uh, you know, put them away a little bit easier in the first half. There were times where it looked like Tampa Bay was just going to put their foot down and put this game uh, to an end. But, they, they hey, they kept sticking around. It was pretty incredible to see what Ty- Taylor Heineke was able to do. Obviously, it became a social media phenomenon. People talking about if he, you know, thank goodness for Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. He didn't play every game this year because he would have won MVP. But, no, it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun uh, on that side. But, yeah, for Tampa Bay, at the end of the day, some things were uh, sloppy at certain points. But overall, they were able to uh, efficiently move the ball down the field. I thought Fournette, obviously, with uh, with the injury to Ronald Jones, Fournette was able to step up and have a pretty solid performance. The offensive line for Tampa Bay, they, hey, I mean, they did a great job against a really, really strong front four for Washington. I thought uh, that was one of the more impressive things. One of their starting guards gets hurt. That's going to be a, a big challenge for them against the Saints coming up. But nonetheless, they get the job done. I think the one – pass I mean there's a lot of great passes that Tom made but one of them was it was after it was I don't remember if they were up by five at this point or still two after the Heineke diving touchdown but they had a zero blitz on Brady and he was able to identify Mike Evans on a perfect pass down the down the left sideline and that kind of throw was something that you know last year with Brady I'm not sure we really saw it that often uh, his ability to to see that not you know, with obviously the receivers that he has here a lot better than New England last year, but still to, to see that, identify it quickly, and then put that throw deep down the field right on the money, that's the kind of thing that scares you about playoff Brady now coming up. And, yeah, couldn't be more excited. I know we still have another podcast to talk about these divisional matchups, but I couldn't be more excited to watch the, the 40-year-old quarterbacks here about to duel uh, for a third time this season. Obviously, uh, Brady hoping to get a little revenge. Yeah, should be interesting uh, in that. And uh, we will talk about – 
The rest of the action uh, that took place there uh, on uh, the weekend, the wildcard weekend, uh, in just a second. But first, let's talk to you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks and on top of that we'll help you get your show pushed out to apple spotify google stitcher and all other listening platforms best part is you can get all of this for only 15 dollars a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup so whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience acceptance into the program is limited so get your application in today to apply go to bw hustle.com slash join check out the description box for this episode to find out more information but that's bwhustle.com slash join all right let's talk about uh, the ravens and the titans the game that we just knew 100 percent that this was going to be a high scoring crazy affair yeah. and it turns out <laughs> it was not it was crazy but it wasn't high scoring uh the ravens 20 titans 13 and what's interesting about that, of course, is that the Titans scored 10 of those points all in the first quarter, um, and then were only able to get a field goal after that. I mean, I don't know what you say about this Ravens defense uh, to be able to step up and, and hold that Titans yeah. offense you know, to that point. And really, I guess for the Titans defense, too, to, to hold the Ravens to only 20 was a, a bit of a, you know, a positive, as you talked about going in, mm-hmm. where the Titans defense ranked uh, historically uh, heading into to the playoffs. But the one thing the Titans defense could not do is stop Lamar Jackson um, and on the ground specifically. 16 carries, 136 yards. He had a touchdown on the ground, uh, didn't do a ton through the air, but that 48-yard touchdown run was the one thing, if you mm-hmm. take away one thing from this entire game, is that the Ravens are always going to have a chance because you have a guy on the field that can make that kind of play. That was a thing of beauty, and uh, that is exactly why the Ravens are, are going to the next round. Yeah, I mean, some guys can escape the, the pocket and, you know, get, get out and get a first down. But what separates Lamar is obviously that, that move on Kevin Byard. Just looked at him like, you're not going to stop me, man. And uh, that separation speed and everything, just so, so special. But, yeah, even by – so it's a close game. And I think the one thing – only thing that we uh, predicted maybe correctly for this one was that it was going to be maybe the most intense in terms of how much these teams yeah. don't like each other, obviously, even before the interception by Marcus Peters and all the, the Ravens going on top of the Titans logo and stomping around even before that you felt it in this game you felt it with the crowd even with the you know with the reduced capacity it felt like it was a, a lot more people there with the noise they were making uh, and just the whole energy of both sides and yeah but you know I couldn't be more impressed obviously with the Ravens defense but it comes also down to the Ravens successfully shortening the game even when they didn't score and they you know Justin Tucker misses the one field goal but they have some other drives that didn't even pan out they were they were running clock and I mean they, they really put this down I think the Titans only had nine possessions which is like how many possessions the Seahawks had in the second quarter against the Rams <laughs> with all the punts but yeah the Baltimore just uh, was able to slow the game down uh, with, uh obviously ran the ball really well Lamar did make some nice throws uh, by the end of it, uh, you know, throws for more passing yards than Ryan Tannehill. Obviously, outgained Derrick Henry, which the Ravens obviously did an amazing do- job uh, stepping up and and stopping him. Considering you know how well he uh, shredded them in the last two times they faced. Uh, I was looking at the stats for this. The Titans. I mean, it's not surprising when you look at them only having 203 yards. The, the last. Uh, this is the least amount of yards they've had since the game that Tannehill replaced. 
uh, Mariota going back the last season, 209 yards, sorry. So, I mean, that's just a really big credit to the Ravens' defense and what they're able to do with their intensity and stepping up after that first quarter. But also, again, yeah, the Ravens just did a great job controlling the clock. Uh, really fun game, and yeah, Lamar gets a combination of his first playoff win, getting that monkey off his back, but also had never come back from a double-digit deficit. He successfully does here. And, uh, yeah, really excited to see uh, all these games again. That <laughs> Now we get Lamar and Josh Allen, uh, two, two of the guys from that 2018 draft class. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're we're banking on points in that one. But uh, we said that in this <laughs> one, too, and we didn't get it. So uh, maybe we'll we'll say it's going to be low scoring so we get a 50-48 a to, to 48, uh, type game. But uh, the Ravens move on. They finally uh, win that big game against the Titans here with their recent history. And uh, as you said, we'll get ready for the Bills. Uh, the Saints and the Bears, uh, the Saints 21, Bears 9. This was just maybe the – it was kind of their game of the weekend because I don't think, you know, going in we said it. We just didn't think the Bears offense could do a whole lot against the Saints, and they really mm-hmm. didn't. Um, and that's really how the game played out. Uh, you know, kind of a, a bit of a struggle early for both teams. It was only 7-3 to three at halftime. Uh, but then, you know, Drew Brees able to throw a couple touchdowns. Uh, Kamara gets into the end zone, and uh, the, the Saints march along here. Wasn't the most impressive performance maybe from the Saints. Uh, we knew Bears offense was probably not going to necessarily pose a ton of challenges for the Saints defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, now that the win is here, I think everyone's just, just looking ahead to uh, the rematch uh, once again with the Bucks. Yeah, absolutely. This is the game that you're just out of all of the ones this weekend that I kind of was just waiting for it to to move along. I mean, the Bears did keep it close, uh, and the credits to their defense. I mean, even when they were losing 21 to three, they got that goal line stand where Drew Brees was yelling that, that uh, they weren't going to be denied from getting in. Sure enough, he did pull the ball back <laughs> before getting over the goal line. But hey, the Bears defense really fought all day. They just didn't really have much of a shot with how their offense played. Obviously, the the one drop by Javon Wims stands out in the end zone, but even if he catches that, I just don't think Chicago has enough on that side of the football. We, that was one of the big things we talked about when they were scoring, you know, uh, leading up to this game, when they were scoring 30-plus points a game and uh, all those games uh, leading up to this. They are facing some of the worst defenses in the NFL. The Saints, not, this is not like a defense that, you know, really in Drew Brees' career he's had. Maybe you could say last year, but even then, I think this defense is more dominant. Just really impressed with what they're able to do. That's the one thing that's still scary for Tom Brady, and it's a big reason why the Saints won those first two matchups. But, I mean, they are the story of this game. Good adjustments by the Saints in the second half uh, with their ability to uh, you know put up those two touchdowns. The game's just over. They're running so much clock on the third touchdown of the game, too, uh, where it's just the Bears got suffocated, essentially, by the end of it. Uh, one other takeaway, I guess, uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson getting another guy thrown out of a game. He got Denzel – or, sorry, J- uh, Javon Wims uh, the last time they faced the Bears. Now he gets – Anthony Miller. He also is the guy that I believe got his own teammate, Michael Thomas, suspended for a bit. So, man, this guy's really getting in people's heads. He must be one of the best trash talkers out there in the NFL today. I, I really wish I could hear what he said. It's probably not uh, <laughs> probably not yes. clean enough for this podcast, considering we don't we choose not to, to curse too often. But <laughs> it was uh, I couldn't believe that actually happened. I didn't know if it was worth a, an ejection with the, the kind of SWAT and given the playoff game. But nonetheless. Uh, props to him. He's getting guys' heads. He's going to have some fun, I'm sure, with Antonio Brown and and uh, Mike Evans coming up. Well, that led us to the most insane game of the weekend. Um, I think <laughs> it goes without saying. The Browns and the Steelers, uh, we should have expected, I think, just uh, pure chaos in this one, and that is exactly what we got. 
Browns 48, Steelers 37. The Browns are marching right along in the playoffs here. And, Dylan, I can't wait to go back on our – when we look back at our predictions like we did last year, when we go back to the very beginning, look at our predictions for the season. Um, I, there may be only two in the entire NFL that I got right this year, but that was maybe the Browns being the surprise team and the Eagles being the most disappointing team. Uh, and look at this. We're about to talk about them back-to-back in different uh, realms yeah. here. But, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what else do you say? Like, the Steelers could not have started this game any worse. Um, the Browns get up 28 yeah. to nothing. Uh, in the first quarter, basically with two minutes left. So the first 13 minutes of the game, the Browns are up 28 to nothing. Uh, and then from there, the Steelers are trying to rally. I, I did late sort of get a sense that, okay, maybe this is about to happen here. When you saw the Steelers mm-hmm. uh, cut it to 35-23 with about three minutes left in the third, I'm thinking, oh, boy, are we really going to be talking about this for the Browns? Uh, but then, once again, uh, Nick Chubb makes a huge play, and then the Steelers just cannot get out of their own way. Uh, ben Roethlisberger throwing four interceptions. The Steelers overall had five turnovers in this game. That was the difference. Uh, and, of course, that just allowed the, the Browns to basically do what they needed to do. But when you start off a playoff game 28 to nothing, uh, it doesn't really matter a whole lot what you do the rest of the way. You're just trying to hold on, and that's what the Browns did here. But, uh, I, I mean, man, this was, um, this was impressive, to, to say the least. Uh, and it's funny just to look at the stats because you're like, oh, Steelers, 553 yards of total offense, uh, 34 first downs. Uh, and yet mm-hmm. uh, this team just uh, loses by double digits. Yeah, a lot of that with the Browns playing a pretty vanilla defense after they got the big lead. Wasn't a huge fan of that the whole time, but they were so shorthanded. I mean, it made sense. <laughs> that was what they kind of had to do uh, to an extent with all the people they had out. Uh, but, yeah, it was insanity. I mean, after all these years uh, without a, being in the playoffs or winning a playoff game to have that start, I mean, it was it was it just kept snowballing. It really felt like inertia was like in play here. It was just all of these years of frustration and all the even for maybe early in the season, the Steelers as an 11-0 team had some pretty fortunate things happen to to help them get to that point. It felt like some of their luck from the first half of the season, as it did some of those losses towards the end of the year. But really, in, at the beginning of this game, it just all kind of fell apart. And yeah, as they came back, I I, I felt for Browns fans because. Uh, one of my best friends, his dad, is a diehard Browns fan, and I asked him, I was like, I need a picture of him when it was 28-0, and he said, he's not even still talking to me right now. He's not, he has not <laughs> answered any texts or anything. He's probably still just so zoned in, still not trusting this result. Uh, sure enough, I mean, it got, got, got dicey there. Uh, Steelers helped out a little bit by not, you know, they had, even when it was 28-0, they had one situation at, I think, the 39 of the Browns where they punted, which... Uh, there was uh, some tweet about how unlike like un, when a 20 point deficit would, inside the other team's 40 yard line how like there's been like two punts in the last 20 years <laughs> which is insanity it was like fourth and eight and they didn't go for it but also really the one when it was uh, you, you're talking about in that second half they're starting the snowball they scored back-to-back touchdowns in their first two drives and then they get that ball uh, they, they have the, the one with the fourth and one or near midfield and they just don't go for it and it kind of felt like, all right, Cleveland, like you guys have been able to move the ball. They had a great game plan. Obviously, no Stefanski there, but they, you know, they had the, the whole script, uh, the whole uh, mentality, what they wanted to do. They had a great game plan in terms of getting Baker to throw the ball really quickly there, uh, 
you know, throwing the ball, I think, 0.4 seconds faster on average than he had all season, which is a credit to the game plan, but also his ability to read the defense and see those those quick passes that the Steelers, especially when they were down by a lot there, they knew, they thought, and it, for a while it was the, the truth that the Browns were going to be running the ball. They really sold out to defend it, and the Browns, to their credit, instead of just pounding the rock and getting one, two yards, obviously Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt did a great job overall in the game, but I, I was really impressed with the Browns staying aggressive in this game. At a certain point, you realize they couldn't just sit on it and <laughs> run the clock out. Uh, obviously, the screen pass to Nick Chubb uh, felt like that was right after the, the punt by the Steelers that came on that fourth and one near midfield. That Once you saw that, even though the Steelers scored quickly right after that, you just felt like the Browns had it at that point. Uh, so happy for their fan base. But, yeah, I mean, they couldn't have expected that start. I don't know if they win without, <laughs> uh, obviously, some of those things that happened early. They did, to their credit, to the defense, made some great plays uh, on a lot of those turnovers, not just the gift uh, that they got in that first snap. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's just and really, really awesome. It's it's crazy that and back-to-back days we see the Bills and Browns win playoff games for the first time in 25, 26 years each. So uh, it's it's really, really going to be a lot of fun uh, next weekend. I, uh, now I feel like they got this one under the belt. They're kind of playing with house money. No expectations against the Chiefs. Obviously, if you're a Browns fan, you still want them to advance. But, uh, I mean, this, this has to feel great, and you have to feel really good about getting your coach back, getting some of these guys like Denzel Ward, all these guys on the COVID list back, and then also just about where you are as an organization moving forward. Maybe it's the changing of the guard. I don't know. We'll see what happens with the Steelers. We'll have plenty of time to talk about Big Ben and what what, what direction this team goes. If Juju stays, obviously they've drafted some really good receivers. So they have a lot of decisions to make. I still think the Steelers will factor into this uh, equation in this division. But at this point, the Browns are firmly uh, – sorry, Juju. They are no longer just the, the gray faces yeah. Browns. This, this team is a franchise that I think – I don't think this is just a one-year thing. I think they have the foundation to be a, a team. Maybe they don't make the playoffs every year, but at least is going to be in the conversation. And that's something that we haven't been able to say for uh, since this team re-sprouted up with the, the expansion franchise when the, uh, the original Browns moved to Baltimore. Yeah, and uh, here's the updated schedule we talked about a little bit, and we'll go through each of these games uh, in our second episode here uh, later in the week. Uh, the Rams, this is a Saturday schedule. The Rams at the Packers at uh, 4.35 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that's going to be on Fox. Uh, the AFC game between the Ravens at the Bills. That's 8.15 p.m. Eastern on NBC on Sunday. It's the Browns at the Chiefs, 3.05 p.m. Eastern on CBS. And then uh, the Bucks at the Saints, 6.40 p.m. Eastern on Fox. So we'll talk about the, all four of those games uh, coming up uh, here later in the week. But before we wrap up, as we teased earlier, Doug Peterson is out, and uh, Dylan, since we kind of mentioned it a little while ago, a couple, couple developments mm-hmm. here. Uh, one that Adam Schefter brought up about uh, how Doug Peterson has a, a strong relationship with uh, Joe Douglas, who is the general manager for the Jets, uh, which could potentially land uh, Doug Peterson as a, as a candidate for that Jets job. Uh, if I'm Doug Peterson, I am going into broadcasting uh, before <laughs> I maybe take that job. Um, but another thing here, uh, Ian Rappaport, uh, said that <laughs> this is this is just awesome. Um, here's the exact quote. I'm going to read it word for word. Um, After speaking with two people close to former Eagles coach Doug Peterson, it sounds like this is what it boiled down to. Peterson was sick of people telling him what to do. <laughs> well, welcome to the club. I, I'm right there with you, Doug. I completely agree. Um, but look, we we knew that things were going south there. And look at this. As I'm reading this, this is just like our timing is just impeccable here. Adam Schefter has just put out a tweet, literally as I'm reading this. Um, It says, Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie 
wanted to take time to evaluate the situation and look ahead to the future. He met with Peterson a few times. Lurie wanted to dive into what the vision for the future was and how the Eagles could return to contending. So is, is Schefter going to follow up with a tweet here, or is that it? Like, I'm yeah, trying to wait to I'm, see. I'm, can you just be like, so dot, 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 or, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what's happening here, Adam, uh, but. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. So anyway, you slice it. Um, it's a mess, as we said. I think we knew there was some contention there in terms of the front office with Peterson and all that, mm-hmm. the way the season has went for the Eagles. Um, you know, I mean, it's I mean, let's think about this. Like, this team went to the playoffs three straight times. They won the Super Bowl in 2017 season. Um, I don't know. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's such a strange thing, isn't it? Because they win the NFCs last year. And then this season, though, just so bad to the point to where it's incredible mm-hmm. to think about. I don't know. I mean, you and I were kind of laughing about it and wondering for Doug Peterson. Uh, there, are, I mean, he's one that I think, if you look around at some of these jobs, you and I brought up before we started recording, we were thinking, okay, what are some jobs that would make sense? I don't think he's going to, to the Jets. I, I get it, but, man, I I don't know. I've just got a yeah. hard time seeing him going to the Jets <laughs> given their situation. But then again, look, they have a high draft pick. Maybe that's appealing enough, but I, I don't anticipate that. But maybe maybe I'm wrong there. Uh, and they've got the Texans. I, that one I just don't see either. I mean, you talk about mm-hmm. unknowns. I mean, maybe we should bring that up too, the whole Deshaun Watson situation. Um, there's so yeah. many unknowns with that right <laughs> now. Uh, the Falcons, I don't necessarily see that either, which would leave the Chargers and the Lions. And and I could maybe in a sense see the Chargers because they do have a young quarterback, um, mm-hmm. you know, which, look, I mean, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, like I mean, they're not the same quarterback, but two guys that clearly have a lot of potential in the league. Uh, I could see the Chargers as a potential option, potentially in the right scenario. Uh, Lions, maybe that's just the kind of a tough sell too with the Jets just because of the history. Uh, but any way you look at it, this is it's a wild situation, knowing that this guy just won a Super Bowl uh, several years ago. Yeah, I'm more bold, bull, bullish on the Jets, I know, than you in terms of at least with having Joe Douglas there, their past kind of drafts, and how at least it sounds like from everything I've read how people in the league are viewing that job. Not being uh, not being the same old Jets, I guess, like the same old Browns that we're talking about. So, hey, maybe that's a situation where you could go in, have more control as the Jets are supposedly letting Joe Douglas run the show. If he lets Doug Peterson run his side of the show, they have that working relationship. Maybe that could be the, the case because I do wonder with the Chargers how much autonomy would they give uh, Doug Peterson or would it still be this, the same thing we're kind of worried about with Dean Spano saying he wants to really be involved in this this hire maybe he once he does make that hire he'll let the guy have the keys to the car those are probably the two yeah that make the most sense I just think the Jaguars are probably going in a different direction obviously there's all the Urban Meyer rumors but just even with all the other guys they've uh, interviewed all these great OCs and great culture builders uh, potentially as Robert Saul is being billed as I mean, there's just a lot of different guys that make more sense I think than Doug Peterson there I think Chargers and the Jets are probably the two for me that it would come down to yeah the Texans you talk about something that uh, was captivating me while watching the the games was reading about all the 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 different developments coming out of that and uh, his displeasure with uh, the organization and the whole process of how they went about uh, making that uh, the last hire of Nick Casario that's a whole different situation Uh, so yeah we got a couple maybe dysfunctional (laughs) situations going on there in Houston and now in Philly although with Philly if they're cleaning uh, the house a bit uh, we'll see who they. I mean, one thing I haven't really thought about a ton is who they're going to be. Who they're going to be hiring? Are they? Uh, are they going to be committed to 
uh, Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the future, or are they going to try to look elsewhere? They have, you know, the sixth overall pick. There could be some quarterbacks available there. Obviously, Carson Wentz is still in the fold at this point. They haven't <laughs> moved on from him. Uh, the one thing I will say, obviously, as I kind of talked about at the beginning with, uh, you know, how unusual it is for a coach to be fired this quickly uh, or moved on from this quickly after a Super Bowl win, the, the team has really gone down in, t- uh, in terms of their offensive play. This was a tweet put out by Pro Football Focus. It's on the EPA, the uh, expected points added per play of the Eagles on offense. Uh, the first year's rookie year for Carson Wentz, they finished 19th, not bad. Uh, fifth the year that they won the Super Bowl. But since then, 13th, 16th, and now in 2020, 29th. They've just gone down completely on that side of the ball. Obviously, Doug Peterson, uh, mostly responsible for the offense, uh, with you know for large portions of some of the play calling as well. I wonder you, at this point, there's doubts about you know with Frank Reich leaving after the 2017 season with what he's been able to do with the Colts. How much did he play into that success for that offense? Is Doug Peterson getting too much credit? There's a lot of these kind of things that you think about. And then yeah, it's just it's interesting though. Still, it still is kind of hard to 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 think about the fact that Eagles never won a Super Bowl for all these years. They finally win one, and now the coach has gone that quickly. It's, it's really changed really fast there in Philadelphia. So, yeah, we, we were talking about where Doug might end up, but I, I need to dive more into who, what kind of coaches make sense for Philadelphia. That is something that I, at this point, I was, <laughs> I was prepared for there to be six coaching jobs, Blake. I was not prepared for the seventh I one. I got I to gotta start thinking about this. Well, Rappaport, he did put out one of his first tweets after Peterson got fired, was that uh, Mike Kafka, who is the uh, quarterback coach for the Chiefs, uh, could be uh, someone that could be in the mix there. Uh, he played for the Eagles, uh, and, of course, being a part of that coaching tree with Andy Reid, um, he's someone that, that could factor into the role. I don't, I don't know. I think that's another question, too, is how attractive is the Eagles' job? Because I think it's an attractive in the sense that you're in a division that's clearly just a mess right now. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I think for that, that part of it. But you also have your own you know mess with the organization to where you, know, you see kind of the way things unfolded here in the front office. You don't know what you're doing with Carson Wentz. Is he going to be happy? Like, there's so many different things that I think you're also fighting there. So... I don't know. Maybe that's another question is how attractive is that job in and of itself as compared to the others? Mm-hmm. Because, like, okay, so there's the question. Right now, we thought yeah. that the Chargers and the Jags <laughs> were the top two in terms of the most attractive mm-hmm. jobs. Like, where where do we put the Eagles in that, that range in terms of comparing it to the Chargers and the Jags if we thought those were the top two? And then in that middle, you had the Falcons, you know, Texans, Jets, maybe Lions, I feel like is maybe closer towards the bottom. But – I mean, yeah. it's, it's interesting to think about where the Eagles actually place in there. Yeah, I I don't know, man. They might, <laughs> for me, yeah, like you said, the, the Jets and, or sorry, the Jaguars and Chargers in, in some order from, have to be, for me, the top two, whether it be Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence as your quarterbacks with uh, talent, at least already built around uh, Herbert in Los Angeles, then a lot of cap space, a lot of draft picks to, to kind of build your own vision in Jacksonville. Those are the top two. But after that, I, I might still have the Jets. I know that you had them lower than me. I still think with just the, the amount of different things they can do and the ability to kind of – it's not a blank canvas the same way the Jags are, but I think it is close-ish to that in terms of what you might be able to do with forming a new vision. I just think that, yeah, the, the Falcons and the Lions, I you know, maybe they have a quicker turnaround date. I just don't know about the quarterback situations there. Are, is there going to be someone by next year that's going to be filling in? 
the Texans were higher for me until everything that happened this weekend. And now I'm concerned about what Deshaun thinks about. They really have a lot of work to get that figured out. So I, uh, with him, cause I rebuilding that relationship is going to be key. I don't think as much as I love to, to, you know, fantasize about the idea of Deshaun Watson being in the dolphins and how fun that would be. And all those rumors, I don't know how you could possibly trade a guy that's, you know, one of the five best quarterbacks in NFL. So maybe that job is still pretty attractive if you have the right person that can come in. Uh, so I think the Eagles are right there for me behind uh, maybe in that four or five spot. They're, they're, it's Chargers, Jags, some order. Jets still for me maybe a little above the Eagles, which is hilarious to think about. Uh, but uh, especially where, you know, how far where they were just a few years ago, looked at as one of the deepest teams in the NFL. I thought they were going to contend for a Super Bowl last season. Couldn't have been farther from the truth. And now, yeah, they're probably right there. I, maybe it's still like the Texans more, but even with all the dysfunction, at least you got Deshaun Watson, <laughs> man. So I don't know. I don't know. It's it's not it's not pretty. They're not necessarily a, a destination place. And you, you talk about ownership, and I feel like Jeffrey Lurie was when they won the Super Bowl was put as you know kind of a model for letting the team rebuild and uh, placing all this uh, you know. Uh, you know, putting all the faith in these guys and all the hires that they're able to make, and Howie and uh, and Joe Douglas previously, and uh, letting that foundation build up from the from itself. And now it's now now after this situation, it's there's questions. There's a lot of there, you look at you look him up, and there's Philadelphia Inquirer articles saying to blame him for everything, not Doug Peterson. And it's it's a mess. It's it's becoming more of a mess there. That like you said, the division is attractive, but. I, I don't think I don't know how much you can just worry about the division. I think <laughs> you also have to think about you know the, the position you're in. I mean, there's probably a lot of coaches that would jump at this opportunity, a lot of coordinators, but it's not a place that I think that is going to be at, on the top of their list by any means. Yeah, well, you talked about the Texans and said that uh, you can see them trading a top five quarterback in Sean Watson. Well, they traded the top three receiver well, in DeAndre Hopkins. So Bill O'Brien <laughs> did that. So that's, I guess that's I should I should specify. There you there. go. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, I'm I'm with you. I think it's uh it's some of these jobs that just on the surface you would think are much higher are probably not maybe compared to some of the others uh, that are available. Mm-hmm. So. It's interesting. Uh, we always expect it in the NFL, in the offseason, things, uh, crazy things happen, and uh, here's another one. Uh, Doug Peterson out, and uh, we will see what happens with uh, that situation there in Philadelphia, and we'll see what happens with uh, the playoff games uh, coming up uh, here next weekend. We'll get to those, as we said, in our next episode. Uh, but for now, Dylan, we'll have a lot of coverage over clutch points uh, of all those games. Uh, they're going to take place, everything going on with Doug Peterson. I'm sure uh, we'll have some stuff up soon about uh, some candidates that may make sense for that Eagles job. What could be next for Doug Peterson? Uh, and, by the way, in the NBA, uh, they're dealing with their own chaos right now uh, oh, in terms of uh, trying to actually play games. So uh, safe to say there's plenty happening over at clutch points. Yeah, absolutely. You can read all about the situation in the NBA, all these games getting delayed, canceled, people saying the season should be postponed. All of that coverage we'll have uh, in any games that are still happening uh, in the Clutch Points app on the NBA section. NFL side, yeah, you can uh, follow all of the divisional games coming up uh, in the Clutch Points app. You can read all of our content, a lot of takeaways about all of these games will eventually have our predictions and betting predictions uh, for the games coming up. Uh, but, yeah, as, as Blake mentioned, soon enough we'll be going over some uh, the best candidates to replace Doug Peterson with the Eagles, uh, looking at uh, the Browns and all the different things ahead for the – 
for what's coming up to go here. I'm sure we'll have some fallout after the national title game. By the time you listen to this, it'll be over, but I'm sure we'll have some fallout about some of those guys and some of the best uh, landing spots for some of the best prospects in that game. I'm really excited for that one. So, yeah, you can follow follow that on clutchpoints.com and then the Clutch Points app. Yep, check all that out uh, there at Clutch Points, and uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Any podcast app you use, you can find us there. Uh, thanks, as always, to the fine folks at Blue Wire for all that they do. And thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time here on the Establish the Past podcast.